Welcome to Reset with Amber Lyon. This is the show where we talk about natural medicines and therapies that have the potential to allow you to hit the reset button in life. And today we have a special guest, Dr. Michelle Ross, who is like me, someone who used to be staunch anti-drug and is now switched and is completely on the other side of the spectrum. Uh, Michelle Ross has a PhD in neuroscience. She's also an expert in the health benefits of medicinal marijuana. And surprisingly enough, she used to work for the National Institute on Drug Abuse. You were a research, researcher for them. And, and now you've completely done a 180, and now you're a medical marijuana advocate. So, so how did that happen? <laughs> um, it's a little bit crazy. Um, so I worked on my PhD studying uh, cocaine addiction and neurogenesis, which is the birth of new brain cells. Um, I've studied MDMA. I've studied heroin. I've studied cocaine. I've studied cannabis. And I've never touched a drug at that point in my life. And I was very... So how long ago was this? Um, so I completed my PhD in 2006. Um, so up until until that point had never touched a drug. Um, I actually had grown up in in a drug ridden neighborhood in front of a crack dealer's house. So that actually influenced my decision to be a knighted drug researcher. So I come off of that, um, move from Dallas where I was finishing my PhD to Hollywood end up on a reality TV show called Big Brother, which is totally random, um, and then got introduced to a different set of people than the average scientists that I had been around um, my whole life, and then starting to talk to people that had very different experiences with all sorts of different drugs, and going, okay, um, this is just really interesting. This isn't, you know, the type of drug addicts or, or people that, you know, you read about in textbooks or you're reading about in literature. Um, these are real people with different experiences. And some of these drugs don't sound like the typical drugs that I'm reading about. Um, they're not even drugs that were in my textbooks. So DMT, for example, um, uh, psilocybin, those drugs are really not even covered at all in neuroscientist books and in neuropharmacology books. Literally. Which is fascinating because those are some of the most incredible compounds known to the human brain and, yeah. and they don't even cover them in the books. Exactly. So I'm going, okay, I'm a neuroscientist and I'm one of like, the leading experts on, on uh, how drugs affect the brain. And I'm going, wait, you have drugs that I've never even heard of? Okay, now I have to go check this out and figure out what this is. And then um, when I found out that some of these drugs were associated with spiritual medicine and some of the people that I've been talking to, um, especially people um, from the Burning Man community, they're very spiritual and um, help people with all sorts of problems. And here I am talking about, I have all these emotional problems from my childhood. I had a very um, traumatic childhood, a lot of abuse, um, a lot of poverty, and um, just struggling to make it get, I was the first to graduate with a PhD or really even graduate from college in my extended family. So for me, it was always a struggle to get where I was and carrying all this emotional baggage um, was a huge problem. And then talking to people who were like, you know, you should just go on an acid trip and, you know, you would forget all these things or you'd be able to come to terms with things. I'm going, what? Um, that just doesn't sound right to me. Because you, you, you probably were like me. I grew up in the Midwest and I was told acid would melt your brain. Like even the word acid itself sounds horrific. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, even though I'm supposed to logically understand some literature and, and there are cases that so, you know, this doesn't happen when you take this. You're still stuck in that dare generation or training that says, even though someone else might say it's okay, you're going to be that one person that's, you know, ruined for the rest of their lives or something. And for me, um, I also had read a lot of things that, you know, emotional baggage may make it harder for you to have, you may have a more negative experience when you try things like mushrooms for the first time. And for me, I wanted to wait till to try any of these things to sort of have uh, medicinal therapy on myself um, until I was um, with people that really understood the drug, understood how to help people. Um, um, you know, when you take psychedelics, you really need somebody to sort of guide you um, along the journey because if you're by yourself or you're with the wrong people or in the wrong context, people can have, you know, very, very negative trip or, you know, feel, um, you know, just negative feelings about themselves and can be a horrible experience. So I didn't want to be stuck with, you know, this is the first time I've tried anything and now I hate myself or, you know, I'm more damaged than I was before. So, so what finally made, made you make the decision to, to try psychedelics to deal with your childhood trauma? What was it? Well, um, I had heard about DMT, and there's different ways to administer it, and one of the ways is via smoking. And I was told that it was only going to be, you know, around a two to ten minute trip. And for me, 
um, no matter how bad an experience is, I think that I could live with 10 minutes of uh, an unpleasant experience. I don't, I didn't think that would scar me for life. Whereas, you know, LSD is much longer, mushrooms is much longer. So to me saying, okay, I can adjust the dosage, um, you know, vaporizing DMT, um, you know, you can extend it by smoking a little bit more or, you know, taking a little less. I, here we have a psychedelic experience that I can manage and, you know, choose to make it a short one or a long one or a more intense one. And so um, being able to sort of control control my own brain sort of made me take that leap and say, okay, I can, I can tolerate two minutes of God knows what's happening to my brain. And then I decided one time with a, a group of friends that already experienced it and had very positive experiences um, to try it. And what also um, made me really excited to try it is that it's a drug that you can actually talk about. Like you can talk about your experience. You're not, you know, out of your mind. Like you can have a lucid conversation with other people um, while you're on it. And also the effects of it really aren't going unless you, you close your eyes. So as long as you open your eyes, you're not really tripping. So um, for me, that was really cool. And, and, and also gave me that sense of control and feel like, okay, I'm not going to lose my mind or, you know, ruin my life if I try this. And because you'd spent so many years studying the negative effects of, of drugs. Now here you are going to try a, a quote unquote drug. Interesting thing about DMT that some people don't know is it's actually produced inside the human body. It's profusely in nature. So it's, it's like the government saying your body is illegal yeah, <laughs> because you produce enough in your body to technically be arrested. Yeah. And that's where I made the, the um, point where we have um, our own natural cannabis, we have endocannabinoids and here we have our own natural DMT. So, okay. If it's in your brain, it's likely not as bad as people are saying. So here I say, this is the, the one natural drug I'll try. And, um, it's interesting because so many people have different experiences on it. Um, some have very spiritual experiences. Some have just sort of like just high type of trip so it was just like okay i don't know how my body is going to experience it how my brain is going to deal with this and um each experience that i've had on it has been different depending on the context depending on where i've been um, i've tried it now i think about four times and so tell me about that first time where where were you what was the setting like were you <laughs> freaked out or you nervous? i will just say um for legal purposes, this was not in the U.S. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Joking. Um, I was um, with a group of friends um, and in a very relaxed setting. Um, we had um, some DMT and we decided to, um, we were all, you know, discussing different problems in our life. And we decided, you know, let's relax and, you know, sort of try to press the reset button and, you know, wake up tomorrow, like refreshed and amazing. Um, and Basically, I'm lying on the couch um, and, you know, vaporizing some DMT, not really feeling any effects, you know, smoke some more. Um, a lot of the other people in the room had already started to feel it because they had some experience with it. And just maybe their, their brains are more susceptible or, you know, more open to, to the psychedelics. So it took me a little bit of time um, to actually start seeing anything and I closed my eyes and the first thing that happened was sort of almost like what I would expected you know if like somebody takes acid or something there was like a lot of geometric shapes and they were very bright and colorful and like spinning and making like these beautiful amazing like sacred geometry patterns and I'm going wow this is the most amazing screensaver I've ever seen in my life <laughs> like I'm like this doesn't seem meaningful or anything but this is beautiful like i could never imagine seeing these patterns and shapes and just the way it was going um ever in my life and i'm just like wow this is just beautiful like i feel like all of my neurons are like firing in some kind of beautiful um, pattern that will never happen again i'm just like most beautiful sunset ever you know um but then things started changing so i started having it was almost like it became sort of like a little bit of a video game. It's this is very bizarre, but um, you know, there, I saw like little cartoon cats walking around, and like there's ice cream cones. It was weird. And then I'm going, okay, I don't know whether this is gonna start going off the deep end, you know. Um, but um, after that played out a while, um, there was like a distortion of the reality there. Like the what I was seeing was no longer like a 3D world. It became like a 4D world, which it was like time and space was bending and then I had the sensation of starting to fall which was really interesting it was should have been terrifying at the moment because like it literally it was like I was falling into a black hole that's what it felt like but falling 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 and finally I sort of fell and 
then I felt like I was floating and it was very white, like sparkly type world. And literally it, it sounds really cheesy, but it sounded sort of like heaven-like where there's like clouds and just like, it felt like I was with like deceased, really amazing, important people. Like, and I was surrounded by like people that were like influential and, but cared about me and wanted me to be there and be safe. It was like, just a, an oddly emotional feeling. It was very abstract. And then like the last thing that I remember from that first trip was like, it was almost like the last supper setting. Like, and I'm not even a deeply religious person. I, I was raised Catholic, but literally it felt like I was sitting at the last supper and it was just like, this was completely normal. And then I, right after that, then I woke up and I was just like, did I just go to heaven? I am, this is a really, like, I, this is bizarre. Like, that's not, I started off seeing shapes and then there were cats and then I felt like I fell out of space and ended up at the Last Supper in heaven or something. It was just such a weird, bizarre experience. And they're like, my friends were like, yeah, a lot of us have had similar experiences. It's like crossing over and I'm going crossing over where? They're like, oh, to the other side. And I'm going, um, none of this makes sense to me. It wasn't scary. It was fun. Um, I'm. It was very interesting to have a like spiritual experience at the end because again, I don't consider myself spiritual, and I'm going why? Why would my brain take me there? You know, out of all the places. But I felt safe. I felt comfortable. Um, I felt accepted, and that was just an interesting place at the time because um, I was going through some emotional turmoil and I didn't feel safe or welcome or like I had friends and it just felt at the end like it was okay and I was loved and that was a really nice thing and it made me want to go try it again at some other point. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was insane. Insane. <laughs> and oh, all this happened over like six minutes, but it felt like to me, it felt like this was like maybe two or three hours. And it was just like, oh, no, you were just in there for six minutes. You know, by some train of thought, DMT is the key to unlock the soul from the body and allow the soul to travel into these other dimensions. Is that what you felt like happened? Yeah, it, it was very interesting that I did feel like my body was going somewhere like the whole time. Like, I don't know when you have lucid dreaming and you feel like, oh, like I'm falling off a bridge or something or you're flying. These were the type of experiences that I felt there. Like I felt like I was no longer connected to my body and I was in this other reality. But like I felt like I was floating through different layers of time and space and like I was being projected somewhere else. So um, and that's a, a feeling that's continued to happen throughout all, almost every time that I've taken it. It was that this feeling that you're falling through somewhere or you're going up or you're being raised up. That's also happened before. Um, and it's very interesting to feel disconnected with your body, but it's okay. Like it's actually freeing and <laughs> you just feel like I can go wherever I want or wherever I'm needed to be or whatever I'm needed to be shown. And it's really amazing because I think we are, especially smart people are stuck in their heads. <laughs> so it's nice to be released and freed and be able to see things sort of objectively or, or who knows with the bias that we're meant to be shown, you know, it's very, very, it, it blows my mind sometimes thinking about this because the, the old me would have never been able to rationalize that. It was just like, okay, uh, <laughs> let's just forget that happened. That was weird. Or you're, uh, you were mentally ill or something, you know, that's, that's what you're trained to think. You know, if you're having these experiences, your brain isn't, is, isn't working or it's doing something weird or, you know, for a neuroscientist point of view, you know, well, that's just this, this neuron overfiring and releasing too much glutamate. And, you know, you're just, it's all chemical response. But the fact that my body took a chemical and decided to give me a feeling of comfort and spirituality and, um, sort of, went that that way with it was nice and it's mm. I think our bodies have an innate um, ability to heal themselves and that's amazing and not many people know how to unlock that with them in themselves and it's um I can't wait for the the time where I can have another experience with it and so you say you originally sought out the DMT to help deal with childhood trauma I, I think we've really lost our ways to purge this trauma in Western society. Uh, we've lost a lot of the ancient traditions and ancient medicines that allowed people to do so. And instead we're being given medicines that are more of a bandaid on a bullet wound. They don't actually get to the core to treat that trauma. 
How did DMT help you deal with your childhood trauma? I mean, um, for me, I've... Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry. <It's> okay. <laughs> we had a little bit of an earthquake here. Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, um, I've had a lot of baggage from my family, um, a lot of abuse. And for me, I've never felt good enough. I've also never felt loved. Um, I've had a problem loving myself for a long time. I'm, even though, you know, I was the smartest kid in school, um, I've had all these awards. I've got a PhD. It was never good enough. And for me, I just felt like I was always trying to please someone um, other than myself and not doing living my life, like basically trying to make people happy that would never be happy. And, you know, that has a toxic effect on your life. And, um, I have a deeply personal, um, you know, trauma on my brother, uh, who was 20 at the time, he passed away while he was in college, um, due to, um, basically an alcohol overdose, um, mixed with some other drugs. And, um, that was horrible and horrifying, like, he was six years younger than me. So right um, after I finished my PhD, I was at Caltech and I found out um, on Facebook that he had passed away, which is not the way you want to know. Um, but for me, it took a long time to deal with the fact that my brother had passed away, um, that the one person in my family I really and truly loved and actually wanted to, you know, mentor here in California and live with. And um, he was gone and he wasn't coming back. And you know, for me, it was just like my life got stuck after that point. You know, I had a really bad relationship with everyone else in my family, but he was the only family member that really, like, really, truly loved me, accepted me for who I was. Um, I even have a tattoo on my leg, live for the moment, because he had a conversation with me about saying yes to everything, you know, for a year. Mm. Like, live your life. Like, what are you doing? You're not living your life. You're living someone else's life. And he had always ha had these conversations with me. He was the fun one. He would be the one that would be trying spiritual medicines and things. And I'd be like, nope, nope, I will work really hard and, and you know, not experience anything in life and live in this box. And um, for me, it was hard because I wanted to live, um, live that life that he had suggested for me, but I wasn't. And then through spiritual medicine, I feel like I started to open myself up and even sort of communicate with my brother and, and sort of get some of his wisdom and, and feel like the other side accepts me and, and knows what I'm doing is right. I've even had trips where um, I've felt like I was lifted up and it's very odd to describe this, but it feels like there's the, these tall people that are standing up like almost over the earth and looking down on us. And like they're whatever their gods or whatever that they are. Um, but they have like a big eye. And, um, I've had one trip where I look literally, I felt like I was looking through their eye at the world below. And like, I was a caretaker. I cared about the beings below. And, um, I had this sense that no matter why I'm here, it's okay. I don't need to know, but to know that I'm here for a reason that I'm cared about, that there's someone always watching and taking care of my world and my people and my friends and my earth and that it's okay. And that we're all connected. Like we're all like all those beings were all like encircled around like the earth and like touching each other and like infusing their energy in the earth. And I just felt that power and that love and that compassion. And I just felt like I needed to bring that love and compassion of everyone into back into the world with me and that feeling alone has just tremendously changed you know what my focus is um, my focus is now on healing people helping people it really wasn't about that before it was really about data and finding results and presenting results it wasn't about the people you know even though I said I wanted to help people it was really about you know almost like the office grind you know do a research study, find results, publish them, you know, basically job security, you know, do a lot of busy work to make sure you have a job the next day, you know, whether it's helping people, it's not, you know, it's, you're just researching the minutia of something that's, doesn't really matter, you know, at the end of the day, um, I decided to take all of my knowledge and all of my energy and figure out how do I help humanity? How do I move things forward? How do I really make a difference? And, at first, it boggled my mind, and, you know, I had no direction, but um, through other psychedelic experiences like mushrooms, um, I've really sort of come to terms with, this is what I'm supposed to do, this is how I can do this, I'm good enough, and I can lead, and then this is what I'm supposed to be doing, and it's insane that I spent 
you know, 26 years, 27 years without this kind of direction. And then literally within one year had so much insight into myself, into my own power, into my ability to accept that life is short, but that is meaningful and that things happen for a reason. Like my brother passing away was horrible, but it created so much change and so much meaning and so much purpose that there was maybe a reason before it, maybe a reason not for it, but I can come to terms with it now. Whereas before it was a roadblock, an energy block, and just a grief that I could never get over. And so you've had other psychedelic experiences besides DMT. Uh, one of my preferred psychedelics is uh, psilocybin mushrooms. Yes. I, <laughs> I traveled around the world and, and tried them and, and used them with native cultures in Oaxaca, Mexico. The Mazatecs, they've been using them medicinally for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And I really found the mushrooms to help. Uh, they really helped slow down my anxiety. They also, like you said, some people have overactive minds. They slowed down my mind. So for the first time in my life, things were just quiet. And I could go back. It was almost like I was watching a movie of my life. And I could go back without being judgmental, with just being an objective outside observer and relive some events that were so horrific, I couldn't even remember them. For you, how how do you think mushrooms really helped transform your life? Yeah, so I've only actually had one experience with them. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking forward to many more. Of course, you know, as in the United States, they're illegal, so not always... Um, easy to obtain. But for me, um, my first experience um, was very varied over the hours. But for me, I felt connected to the world. At one point, it was funny because I was with, um, it was actually um, at a at a birthday celebration. There was many, many of uh, my friends there. And um, many of them had, they were also using it. And um, it was at a place with actually beautiful, like psychedelic drawings and everything. It was just a gorgeous place. But for me, um, I went through many different phases. There was one phase where I literally, I started petting the wall and I just felt like I was like, I'm connected with the world. And it was just very interesting because they're all, you know, they're laughing. But at the same time, um, for me, um, you know, I wasn't the same person that I am now, you know, about a year ago. I was very cold. I was a little bit turned off from people. So you've only I, been using these medicines. Well, now about, with... now about a year and a half now. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're, you're. I'm a newbie. Yeah, yeah, same I'm here. <laughs> But um, yeah, because my whole life, you know, it's scary. You don't, um, there's been a history of mental illness in my family. And, you know, I've been taught, I've sat in lectures where they're like, you know, if you, you have the genes, you know, one hit of acid and you'll go crazy. One, you know, a little bit of mushrooms and you'll just lose it and, or you'll become schizophrenic. And for me, actually um, passing the age where schizophrenia is more likely to be, have an onset, you know, like it happens more before the age of 30. So for me, it was like, okay, there actually may be a possibility that I would be, you know, someone that'd be adversely affected it, uh, affected by it could maybe unlock some, you know, DNA twist that, you know, um, uh, turns on the schizophrenia gene. So for me, it was really important that, you know, having that risk there that that wasn't turned on. Thank God. <laughs> thank God. Um, that is a risk. A lot of people are under the false belief that psychedelics would make you go insane. But what they can do is if you are already prone to get schizophrenia, they can make that come on maybe a couple years earlier. But mm-hmm. you were supposed to get, you were going to get that anyway. So yeah. they didn't directly cause it. Yeah. And now, thankfully, there's become more and more research that they're showing, you know, what you know. And then also, you're you're an expert. So even though I know a lot about drugs, I don't know everything. So, you know, that was actually surprising to, to, to find out. Um, so thank goodness, you know, I... Um, nothing, nothing has happened to me. I've tried all these different things and I'm okay. I, my hue is fine. Nothing's happened to me. I don't have flashbacks. I don't have weird things, you know, um, for me, um, another part of my, um, mushrooms experience was really what you said, like time slowing down is so interesting because it's very hard to stop all the crazy, anxious, you know, hyperactive thoughts in my brain. Uh, it's, it's very hard for me to meditate. It's very hard for me to be still, even though I know that's such an important uh, yeah, part same of the here. human experience. But, you know, trying to turn it off, you know. Um, yeah, I can barely sit still for an hour to film this show, much less to <laughs> meditate. That is one of my most challenging. And that's why I really found psychedelics to be so helpful because people say or criticize and say, you could have just done yoga or meditation to get to this point. Now I can do yoga and meditation, but at the point where I was going through symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, 
I could not have sat down for the life of me and, and meditated and gotten anything out of it. And that was just me. And so for me, psychedelics were the key to open the door to my healing. And now I maintain them with, with other uh, practices. But, but I think it is very difficult for many people to get to that state. And that's why these medicines are so beneficial because they do allow your mind to finally slow down and, mm-hmm. and allow you to finally see the world the way it really is, not the way your mind wants you to see it. Yeah, and then um, we have so many memories that are filled with emotional responses and usually negative because we don't really hang on to the positive experiences. We hang on to fearful, uh, fear, anger, jealousy, you know, all these negative emotions. And for some of us, you know, we have trauma and those memories aren't going to go away. They're going to continue, you know, to, to cause us panic, anxiety, you know, um, from issues from PTSD to even minor traumas. And um, it's so important to be able to enable someone to deal with it. You can go to therapy, but if you're not ready to accept, you know, the change, your brain is just going to reject it and it's still going to, you know, cause you problems for years. It's really important to erase the memory. And, um, you know, psychedelics are one of the ways that you can reactivate that memory and, and, basically place into, okay, this doesn't cause me fear anymore. This is a safe memory. And, then it'll extinguish and it'll go away and you can move on with your life instead of it being the panic button that keeps coming up over and over and over again. So by simply processing a memory just in a matter of minutes on psychedelics, it can transform your amount of anxiety or or your entire life? Yes, I I definitely believe so. And there's been research to prove it. Um, For me, um, I actually had an experience with PTSD. So um, for... Um, about four months um, after I had a very traumatic experience last year, I was raided by the LAPD. Um, they came to my door. They thought they received a port report that somebody was breaking into my house, and my husband actually was breaking into my house and kidnapping me, which I don't bizarre, bizarre. But they came in with a SWAT team and they were searching my house, like it's like okay. us down on the ground, like crazy things. So you, uh, I I remember reading about this, and you felt that the LAPD, that you were potentially targeted because you are a former government researcher, anti-drug, and now you are a very vocal pro-medicinal marijuana advocate. So, so tell me about what, what happened that night or how, how did the raid happen and, and what's going on now with it? Okay. Um, so this happened during broad daylight. So it was around like noon and, you know, cooking lunch with my husband. We work from home. Um, we had a marketing company. We also do advocacy from home and run a nonprofit. So we're at home all day, you know, um, literally hear some banging on the door and there's a SWAT team. There's a helicopter. I've never had an experience with the police before. So I open up on my car and, you know, pushed out of the way, like, get out of, get out of the way. I'm like, what are you doing here? Don't worry about it. They come rushing in and with assault rifles and literally just like sheer panic attacks. I've already had a a panic disorder before in my life. And it was just like nonstop, just like sheer, like I'm going to die. Like, I don't know what's going on. And they immediately take my husband outside. At the time, he wasn't my husband. He was my fiance. But they take him down the street far away. I can't see him. They start questioning him and they like start asking me like, what's going on here? Like, who, like, who are you kidnapping? I'm like, what who is are going you kidnapping? on? Are you kidnapped? I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm making lunch, you know? And then it got to be that they started to do a search of our home and they found medical marijuana because we're both patients and we're actually, we have recommendations. I was like, here, let me show you my recommendation. You know, do you have a, a mar- medical marijuana license? Um, yeah. So we have we have all, everything legal um, in the state of California, but unfortunately we had a police officer at the time that either maybe he felt stupid for raiding a house under maybe the wrong <laughs> phony nine one one call or who knows what the, what happened or because it was you know, targeting. He was basically saying, under federal law, medical marijuana is illegal, so we have to arrest you, we have to put you in jail, and, um, and then he was actually very angry about medical marijuana to begin with. He's like, there's no such thing as medical marijuana. It shouldn't be legal. Like, patients are drug dealers. You live near a school. Like, you probably sell drugs to kids. And I was like, no, I'm a, I'm a researcher. I write books. And I try to help people. And he's just like, oh, you're a scientist? Well, then you're definitely making drugs here. And I was just like, no, I'm not. Like, why would you yeah. assume that? You watch too much Breaking Bad? And he was 
just like people like you, you know, like shouldn't be doing this. And I was just like, what am I doing? Like I, I, what they confiscated from my house was about two, two ounces of tincture, which is uh, cannabis and alcohol. And it's used topically because mm-hmm. I have muscle spasms. Actually, I have like the initial signs of So MS. it's not even something that you actually eat. No, exactly. I was like, really? It's like you took like basically like my like Vicks Vapor Rub, you know, but in, in, in cannabis style. And so it was pretty absurd. I was just like, no, no one's selling this to children. Children wouldn't even take this. This is for like old ladies <laughs> and me, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and we went to jail for two days. Um, we started fighting this case. Um, we were, you know, initially offered plea deals. We decided so, to So fight you went it. to jail, you who've never had a run in with the police. Yeah. We're in jail for two days. Um, let me tell you this. It was even more traumatic than that. So, like, I had a second-degree sunburn all over myself, and um, I actually had apple cider vinegar. I was soaking in it, and I was going to immediately rinse it off when this all happened. So I went to jail with, like, no warm clothes, apple cider vinegar, which was burning me, like, after some point. Like, it, t- it did not feel good after a while. And I was in jail for two days. They I w- put, like, you in handcuffs and put you in the back of a police car. Yeah. What were yeah, you I doing Yeah, I was strip searched, too, because I was charged with a felony. So, um, concentrated cannabis is considered a felony. Um, and they also... Um, later on, they, they, they added conspiracy to possess, too, which is... Conspiracy, you know, is a, is a very weird charge. You know, they, they don't really have to prove too much. They'd be like, oh, you and your husband thought about buying something at the supermarket. You know, like con- couples don't conspire to do things together. Yeah. It's, it's a ridiculous charge. But um, because of the conspiracy charge, it was it made the, the case more difficult and more unique and took a long time to fight. We ended up in a courthouse where the judge was really anti-marijuana and made, really made it clear that um, if we weren't going to take a plea deal, he was going to make our lives really hard. Tell me, Michelle, what it was like when you were um, when you were in jail for those two days. Um, well, beginning with the strip search and knowing that I was in jail for something that basically was completely legal in California and completely wrong, but treated basically like I was a drug addict or drug dealer or even worse than that. Basically, everyone there just treated me rudely. Um, I was screamed at, yelled at. Um, I was basically humiliated. I mean, when you're strip searched, it's just, it's, uh, it's, uh, it feels like you've been violated. And it's just like, I went from literally one hour, you know, happy lunch with my husband to here I am like after, well, it was more like three hours later because of the search and being transported. First we were transported to a, like a minor holding cell when they, they tested our jar and found out that it had cannabis in it, which it, I already told them, but, um, being strip searched and then being taken to the regular jail. It was frightening. I was there with, you know, people that actually did bad crimes and were scary and violent and some of them were mentally ill. And there was a woman there that was accused of like stabbing her boyfriend. And I was just like, I may not make it through these two days. Like I'm really scared. And I also wasn't allowed to call my attorney. I had my attorney's card in my bag and I wasn't allowed to like, literally they made it really hard for me to get out. The one saving grace and how I ended up, being able to bail out was that my husband was also in the, um, the same jail, not, you know, obviously in women's jail, but he was able to basically bribe someone else that he was in jail with to let their girlfriend call our lawyer who he memorized her number. Wow. Because we were both not allowed to get our lawyer's numbers and like not even like make So calls. what did they want you just to stay in jail for eternity? Well, um, obviously you, you get a trial, a like, yeah. hearing, and so they would have, you know, brought us a hearing. We would have, you know gone out like after like three days or something um i think the la prisons like make make them do that uh, make them see you after three days but you really don't want to do that in the prison system because then it makes you look more guilty and they're less likely to dismiss your charges or add on new more like worse charges we were facing felony charges um so actually after we bailed out um the um i guess not the city da I, um whoever charges felonies actually dropped dropped our charges. We go, oh, great, look at that. Like, we didn't do anything wrong. Well, it's like we were in jail, and then we had to pay, you know, $1,000 bail each, but we got out, so this should all be over. Nope, the city picked it up um, and then tried in a misdemeanor court, and then um, after a whole bunch of craziness, they were, like, trying to add new charges, like we were distributing, we are doing manufacturing, like, they actually tried to charge us with uh, felonies, in misdemeanor court, which of course is not legal in, in any place here in California. It was just a mess. Basically, we were, we didn't have the money at the time because we lost so much um, work. Nobody wanted to work with us after 
we were arrested. So we literally were broke. We were homeless. <laughs> like we had to move somewhere else and spend all the money on that because our landlord had, was forced to evict us because the cop actually called our landlord and scared him and told him that federal asset seizure laws said that if he allowed like drug dealers to live at his house, that he would ha he would lose his house. And so he made us leave, um, which is funny because we weren't even charged with drug dealing. We were charged yeah. with. Uh, uh, concentrated cannabis possession, and then it was dropped at the time. So we we're going, we're not even charged with anything. <laughs> like, this is ridiculous that you're calling our landlord. And he was, he was very distressed and, you know, didn't want to deal with that. So, so, so what happened in court? Because you had your legal medical marijuana license. Did not matter. So basically all that's evidence that they present on trial. If you have a really high powered attorney, um, like, it, you they can go there and argue it and you know money makes things go away if you're in a bad place unfortunately financially and you're pe sometimes dependent on the the public defender uh, system it doesn't go so well for you um, and especially in courts they assume all there's no medical marijuana use like they think it's you know it's a joke that um, people don't actually need this as medicine like literally they're like how they're like you're not sick enough to have it and I was like I have the beginning of MS like I'm using this to prevent that I have muscle spasms I had a nerve that went dead for about three months literally. So, so tell me about why you've been using medical marijuana you're, you say that you you have early MS symptoms yeah so I mean I've had nerve problems I've had nerves go dead all the time I've had shooting pains electrical pains I have sensitivity to temperature like back spasms leg spasms um, a lot of issues and you know it takes a little bit of time to figure out what exactly is wrong so mm. um but <laughs> so you're using uh so now you're using the marijuana medicinally to try to prevent ms and yeah so for me um i i smoke it to uh, relieve anxiety you know in the, the short term but for me really eating it helps um because for to take any of that medicine and and really apply it to reducing disease or preventing disease, which is what I want to do with the MS symptoms is really prevent disease, you know, prevent it from being full-blown MS, which thank God, like, thank God my symptoms aren't getting worse. And sometimes they're, they're, they're mostly gone until I stop taking the cannabis. So for me, it's really important for me to eat as much cannabis as possible. It's, it's pretty much like a vitamin my body doesn't make enough of. And mm -hmm. I think I found that with a lot of people. It helps a lot of people. It helps me. It helps my husband. And it helps so many people. So for the judicial system to say, you're not sick enough, who's really sick enough? So basically, you only think that terminally ill, like cancer patients should be using this? No. Um, There's so many medical applications for this. And it's not your decision to tell me what goes into my body. So, I mean, I've had a lot of issues with that. Thankfully, um, over the months... Um, we had actually an amazing, phenomenal public defender team. Finally, after shifting like six times through the system, they're like, you've got a new lawyer this time. You've got a new lawyer this time. We went to court like, I guess, like once every like three weeks mm. for a while. So literally it's like 10 months of going to court. And finally we got a shift from the judge that was clearly anti-marijuana and we were shifted downtown to a new judge as soon as we appeared for our trial it was supposed to go to jury selection that day it was like scary we're like we have our medical marijuana papers we have this we have an expert saying that that's this is all legal and still it was going to trial and thankfully they dismissed it after you know months and months and literally this was like three weeks ago and so it's all been dismissed <laughs> All dismissed, yes. Oh, Thankfully, that must be didn't... like a huge brick off when your shoulders. When they said that, it was so anticlimactic too because you go in there and they're like, case dismissed. And you're like, that's it. Like, it was just like, it, like one word. Like one word made all this pain and all all this all this trauma that we've been going through just like that. That's all you had to say, done. And like, and it's over. Instead of, I had months of PTSD from all this. Every time I had to go to court, I went through like more episodes, literally like anxiety, panic attack, like feeling like like, the world's ending. Like, I had a panic attack at the train station. Like, the police had to come. Like, I couldn't breathe. Like, I was literally, like, hiding under desks. Um, just the lack of security and the feeling safe and feeling like police are protecting you. When you feel like the police are there to hurt you instead of protect you and you can't call them for help or um, you just start questioning, you know, I'm living in a world that doesn't abide by the rules anymore so mm. like nothing's safe not like everything is just ripped out from under you um your friends you know leave you when you're facing criminal charges you know you don't get work you're very isolated and um experiencing what it's like to as a patient um basically be persecuted for the medicine i'm choosing to put in my body was very eye-opening um i would have never thought that this actually happens to people you know when you read in the paper you know people fighting charges usually 
most people think that people are guilty. Oh yeah, like the police would never do something wrong. And then dealing with people that seem like they would plant evidence on people or just do things to harm um, the, the marijuana movement that they know is going forward. Um, and they were like, well, if we legalize marijuana, everything will be legal. That's not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> you know, um, I don't agree that some drugs should be used, but at the same time, you know, there's so many horrible penalties to families, to people, um, just for simple nonviolent possession. And it's ridiculous. People shouldn't be going to jail for, for nonviolent drug possession, no matter what it is, no matter what it's use, being used for. Um, as long as it's not hurting other people, you shouldn't destroy someone's life, their ability to make money, their ability to, to change or learn or whatever. Um, and it's just, it, it's horrible that the experience happened to me, but at the same time, um, being able to go through it has helped me understand you know, how much injustice there is and how much work there needs to be done on educating and helping and healing people. And, you know, um, so you're not, you're not giving up. This hasn't intimidated you to, to stop your activism with medicinal marijuana. You know, it's funny because people tell me I'm crazy. They're like, you went to jail. Like you scared. Like, <laughs> like I told people I was doing this interview and they're like, okay, uh, are you scared? Like the police are going to come and lock you up. They're like, she's doing more drugs. Oh no. Um, but you know, there are laws and the police should respect them. And I've now worked with other government agencies and this and that. And people um, are now opening up and they're learning, you know, that just because the laws are a certain way doesn't mean that the people, the people aren't wrong. It's the laws that some are, are wrong. And it's going to take a long time to change some of these laws and some of these restrictions. But at the same time, um, you know, there, there is an evolution coming <laughs> um, of, of thought and, and of, of, legal practices. Yeah. So I'm on the right side. Um, you know what, if what I say gets me in trouble, um, it's unfortunate, but I have a commitment um, to all humanity to help. And I have the knowledge, I have the passion for this, and um, hopefully I can make some change and help some other people and and prevent people that are just using spiritual medicine um, or medicine of any kind from going to jail. You should not be jailed because you decided to use mushrooms instead of Prozac. And, you know, it's your body, it's your choice, and everyone has a different brain chemistry. You cannot tell me that this drug is going to fix it better than this drug. And all the difference between mushrooms and Prozac is that this government agency said it was legal and this one said it, this one isn't. It, there's there's no morality to, to drugs you know it's this is they make it such a black and white issue it's all gray and and then if you look also that the drug war is not based on science you as a oh neuro my God, yeah. <laughs> so tell me some ways that you've just noticed with the classification especially i mean you look at mushrooms they are schedule one no medicinal value even though numerous studies dating back to the 1950s have shown psilocybin can attenuate anxiety uh, potentially be used as an anti-depression medicine, induce spiritual experiences. It's not neurotoxic, non-addictive. The caffeine in your coffee is more toxic on your body than these mushrooms. This must drive you, this drives me nuts as a journalist. Oh this must God. drive you crazy as a neuroscientist who actually understands the science behind all of this. Exactly. It's crazy. And you can write letters to senators or to the DEA or to this, um, even the agencies that are commissioning research, like the National Institute of Drug Abuse. And as long as federal law says that this is a Schedule One drug, they're forced to do certain things in, in their heads, right? How can we um, commission this as a medicine if it's Schedule One? Like, it's just like we're caught in this catch-22. And um, until somebody basically boycotts this and says, no, like, we're not going to listen to what this stupid government agency that apparently is illiterate because they can't read all the scientific literature. It's just, you think by now with, especially now that the majority of the population is waking up to this, that they would reverse some of these schedulings or go back and re-examine them. But I think it makes them look more ridiculous yeah. from a journalistic perspective that they haven't even gone back and reclassified drugs knowing that the science is there. Look at, look at marijuana. Mm -hmm. uh, how many soldiers say it's attenuating their PTSD? How many people who are having seizures are being helped by cannabis oil, people with tumors? Yeah, well, the, the one issue is that the, the government always wants to make money and they always want to have control. So they'd rather um, 
basically pharmaceuticalize all these drugs. Like they're trying to make um, right now LSD without the component that makes people um, have spiritual experiences for use for cluster headaches. Um, they'll try to take basically the, the magical part out of the mushrooms in order to treat anxiety and PTSD. But the interesting thing is that when you take some of the other components out of these medicines, like we've seen with Marinol, when you take the CBD, when you take the other components, the terpenes out of cannabis, it doesn't work as well as the whole plant. People um, describe Marinol experiences as a much more unpleasant um, experience than using whole cannabis. And I think that people are going to see that with these pharmaceutical magic mushrooms in the future that they're probably going to try to develop. So without the spiritual experience, you may not get as much anxiety relief or as um, reduction in PTSD symptoms. Because for me, that what, it was that spiritual experience, and that's so under-discussed, but that is what helped with my anxiety and PTSD because I no longer feared death. Mm-hmm. And because I had so many near-death, quote-unquote, experiences or uh, experiences where I was visited by a higher intelligence or higher source and really realized that there is life after death. There's so much more to this world that meets the eye. And that's what really helped me, just knowing I have that force behind me mm-hmm. in my work helped me move forward with a ton of confidence and to take that out of something like magic mushrooms that's taking out the magic that's yeah. why they're called magic <laughs> mushrooms well um the government isn't really known for inserting magic into our lives they're they're known for you know controlling people and making sure that there's an order and when you introduce spirituality and, you know, a connection with something else besides the government, if you now are answering to a higher authority than them, you know, it's, they're losing their grasp on what we can think, what we eat, what we feel, and, you know, they want to regulate all that. So it's very scary to them because all of a sudden when you have people that are, that have been awakened, they're going to start questioning all these laws, all these things that don't make sense. There's so many more, like, why are there GMO foods, uh, you know, existing in the U.S.? There's so many. There's crazy laws. There's crazy rules. And yet um, they don't want us to wake up. They don't want us to be happy. Honestly, if you look at all the laws and all the different pharmaceuticals, our government wants to be rich. It wants to stay in business. Um, it, and it doesn't do that by having a healthy population. I mean, we're we're mm. constantly eating pharmaceuticals. We're being sent to jail. We're overweight. We're unhappy. We're suicidal. And, you know, they're, what are they really doing about it? Not too much. Here we have the medications available. We have marijuana. We have mushrooms. We have even know, MDMA they're there. They're there. They're there. They the, don't want- And so many people feel so hopeless. And that's what's so sad. And that's I started to get to that point when I was having symptoms of PTSD and I'd had anxiety symptoms my whole life. Yeah. I tried pharmaceutical medicines. They didn't work. And you get to the point you just feel hopeless, like there's nothing else out there. And then when you learn that, wait a minute, there are, they grow on cow shit, <laughs> you yeah. know, they're profusely in nature and, and they're free. They're yeah. free. The best things in life are free and they're there and they've been hidden from me. What? This no. has been hidden for me? Sorry. You I have to take that expensive this? Prozac, you know? Yeah. It's so upsetting. And I, and I think I could have cured my anxiety at age 15 had I just done some mushrooms in the appropriate set and setting. That's key. You need to do it in a very mm-hmm. quiet setting with someone sitting next to you as experience who can guide you through it. But I just think of how dramatically different my life could have been. And I know I can't, I always get yelled at for, you know, you can't go back and think that way, but it, it just rips my heart apart to know that I was lied to like that and denied this life-saving medicine. And then to know that 22 soldiers a day are committing suicide in the U.S. alone and MDMA could potentially attenuate their PTSD in a matter of six to eight hours. We're not talking like this is long-term, months-long therapy. Six to eight hours. And and so many of these lives could be saved. I mean, especially from a neuroscience point of view, could you tell me a little bit about how MDMA helps people unlock these traumatic memories as well? Because the science has shown it's 83% effective at curing treatment-resistant PTSD, which is nothing short of a miracle. Well, I would say this. I'm not an MDMA expert, and I will not pretend to be. Unfortunately, you know, I, there's so much to learn about cannabis, and that's really where my focus is. So I'm not even sure how that, that process works. But, I mean, you have the serotonin pathway and the dopamine pathway. So, I mean, I'm sure that there's some some area of the brain that it's in decreasing anxiety, possibly through the amygdala. I mean, a lot of emotional processing is there. Um 
I mean, to me, it totally makes sense that psychiatrists and doctors are against the use of spiritual medicine, because think about it. If you're paying a psychiatrist $200 an hour to listen to, to your trauma for months, years possibly, there's something out of a job if now people can take something that's cheap and works in one day. I, I will tell you this about almost um, any disorder. There are cures to narcolepsy out there. There are cures to all sorts of disorders. The pharmaceutical companies don't want cures because it doesn't make them any money. One pill and you, you won't have epilepsy anymore. One pill and you won't have this anymore. They don't want that. They want a treatment that is expensive and that you have to take for the rest of your life. And that causes more symptoms that require you to take more medications to balance that out. They don't want Irritable bowel syndrome. Uh, <laughs> what, what, is, what are some of the other ones? Oh, God. Lack of sex drive. Yeah, um, lack of sex is- drive. Let me just say that. Um, yeah, if you want to be cured uh, with antidepressants and they're like, well, here take this medication that doesn't make you want to have sex anymore you'll so let's take all the joy yeah. out of life yeah so you'll you'll need this and our, our next pill that will help you with that i know it's really yeah. it's really upsetting and that's why i always encourage people and that's why we started reset.me you'd really encourage people to just do your research there's mother nature has a cure for almost every ailment we have you just got to kind of dig to find it because you're not going to see it necessarily on the major news outlets or it's not going to be really be publicized if it's that effective yeah. And and for me, that's what psilocybin mushrooms, ayahuasca. Um, also, marijuana, I haven't really been experimenting a lot with marijuana. Um, but I did read a story about a CNN reporter, uh, Maureen Dowd, who oh. ate... <laughs> everyone in, in this field is rolling their eyes on this. Who ate apparently way too much, went to Colorado on a family trip, got a, a marijuana chocolate bar, ate it, and then uh, really went into a state where like she was totally out of control because she ate way too much. So as, as a medicinal marijuana expert and someone who has a lot of experience with this, what do you recommend... How do you recommend people take edibles? Okay, that's a really tricky one because um, even edibles themselves are not even sometimes um, properly labeled or they've found to have different dosages. Like if you buy something, it's like, oh, there's one milligram of THC in there. And then you actually would bring it to a testing facility and you find out, oh, no, there's 10 milligrams and it's labeled wrong. I mean, right now there's lack of quality control. But for people, um, it's very important when you start with edibles. Um, to think about your experience with marijuana um, in general. If you're a new user and literally you just hopped on a bus, went to Colorado and decided you're just going to eat this big cookie and it's going to be awesome, it could actually be a very frightening experience for you, cause panic, anxiety. Um, You have to start off small. I always tell people, start off small and don't keep eating. Like sometimes people don't feel the effects because when you you smoke a joint, for example, you feel it sort of instantly, you know. Um, With edibles, it may not kick in for two hours, depending on what you're eating that day, you know. That's always my problem, because if I start not feeling it after half an hour, I go back for some more, mm-hmm. and then then maybe half hour later, I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and for people, it's, it's, it's very um, variable between people, how people can react to the same exact edible. Um, there's right now, there's very... Um, amazing like say little candies that are you know exactly dosed properly they're even throughout the edibles and everything and still you know you and me could take the same edible and you know i'm flying high you know in an hour and you're not and it can be based on um you know what other medications you're taking your menstrual cycle like god knows you know like the weather outside who knows people have different experiences with edibles um all the time and so for i think for people it's really important um, to be able to find sort of this, the shutoff switch, you know, how can you regulate your dose in a, um, in an, in an easier manner and in like more like, um, time appropriate, you know, it shouldn't be, okay, I ate too much and I have to ride this out, like this horrible feeling that's not causing, it's unpleasant, you know, I I have to go lay down or something for eight hours rather than being like, oh, I can eat this and then it'll make this feeling go away. You know, it's like when you're too drunk and people try to drink some coffee and it sort of helps sober them up. How do, how do you get sobered up from a sort of an overdose situation where, you know, whether it was because you thought you could handle it or, you know, you just took too much. Um, we really need to help people handle the adverse effects. There's there's some amazing effects of marijuana, but there's also adverse effects. And we need to acknowledge that not all people will have good experiences. I didn't. Actually, it took me about two months of eating it every day, like, to make sure that, like, my body could properly handle it, that I could work, um, you know, with smaller doses during the day mm-hmm. um, for some of my things. Because I had severe back spasms and other problems that literally prevented me from even, like, sitting up and working. So for me, um, it was really important that I get on marijuana. 
and and be able to function. You know, I'm a, I'm a smart person. If I'm laying down in bed all day and I can't work, you know, that's death to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, um, even adjusting to the dose of cannabis myself and knowing how it works is still was tricky. And I want to help people um, understand how to properly take edibles and even topicals. You know, people... Um, don't understand all the different routes of administration that are available to them. Not, right now, there's a cannabis lube um, called Foria. You know, um, that could actually even help women uh, with all sorts of different, um, you know, chronic pain uh, problems, endometriosis. Who knows? You know, um, there's all sorts of mediums that we can insert drugs into and help. Um, and a lot of diseases are rooted in endocannabinoid deficiency. So it's an important topic. I want to help people educate people on how to take edibles, how to use topicals, how to use all these different things in a customized plan that works for their disease and also helps release stress, anxiety. You know, I think that everyone could benefit um, from a little bit more cannabinoids in their diet. And, and so how are, are people most deficient in cannabinoids? Well, um, it's interesting that a lot of um, different diseases from even like anxiety to chronic pain, um, um, they can have... Uh, endocannabinoid deficiency through a couple of ways. You can have less of the actual endocannabinoids in your brain, so the levels are low, and that would show up like in a saliva test. Um, You could have less of the receptors in your brain. Um, You could have more of the enzyme that breaks it down. There's a whole bunch of different methods. Can you explain to everyone what endocannabinoids are? (laughs) Sure. We'll geek out here. So endocannabinoids are basically um, your brain's natural marijuana. Endocannabinoids are a neurotransmitter produced in your body. So we have dopamine, we have serotonin, we have glutamate, GABA. Well, there's endocannabinoids, and they're actually the biggest neurotransmitter in your body. So we have receptors on our immune cells. We have receptors in the brain. We have receptors on our nerves. Basically, since the body controls the rest of um, since your brain controls the rest of your body, endocannabinoids are influencing every cell basically in your body, every major organ system. So you can have heart problems, you can have nerve problems, you can have brain problems. You know, whatever your disorder is, it could actually be rooted in endocannabinoid deficiency. Now, I don't know why some of these disorders are happening more now, whether it's pollution, whether it's stress, lack of sleep, the horrible GMO food people are eating. I think that there's more endocannabinoid deficiency happening and people are getting sicker and the root cause isn't that they don't have serotonin, that they don't have dopamine, that they don't have this. It's actually the endocannabinoid system is dysregulated and causing other neurotransmitter systems to be disrupted. And so marijuana can help alleviate that. Yeah. How is that? Yeah. Um, marijuana is basically nature's medicine and helps uh, people reach homeostasis. So I think that... Um, it's interesting that we do so much research on individual uh, diseases when it turns out that this natural medicine, you know, can help with anxiety, can help with depression. It basically knows where to go in the body and, you know, what's a reset. And it, it, it does that at each, each neuron. So it, it helps regulate, you know, um, the excitatory transmission, the inhibitory transmission. It's there fine-tuning things. So it, it's... It's basically like, you know, when you optimize your computer for better f- performance, um, that's what cannabinoids do in your brain. It helps, um, it helps you learn better. It helps you communicate better. It helps, you know, it helps all your body systems work better. And so when you don't have enough, things go out of balance and you get sick. And um, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, all these different medications that people take when they're not responsive to Prozac, when they're not responsive to this, um, not all depression is rooted in dopamine deficiency. Not all depression is rooted in serotonin deficiency. Let's think about the endocannabinoid system. And, and people most people can't even pronounce it. They've never heard of it before. You know, um, you know. Well, there's there thankfully is a nice little abbreviation. So you can call it the ECS. So, um, so the ECS. So how do you get your, say you suspect your ECS might be a little off. How, how do you get it back to normal? Do you eat marijuana? Do you smoke it? What, what's the best way you recommend? Okay. So um, for most people, if they just want to get um, feelings of anxiety relieved or even, um, say, help with an addiction, for example, there's a study that shows that, um, say, like puffing on a vaporizer every time you have a craving for a cigarette can actually reduce the number of cigarettes you use. So um, for basically anxious feelings, um, I think that 
vaporizing or smoking it can be the best way. But if you really have um, a disorder that is pervasive, chronic, like chronic autoimmune disorder or PTSD or, or epilepsy or something severe, you really need to be eating it um, regularly and distributed through the day so that you're, you're building up enough uh, THC, CBD, and all those other amazing components of cannabis to really fight whatever is going on wrong with you. Um, just smoking is not going to get enough. And so your when body. you're eating it, you eat like the, the chocolates or the lozenges or just the cannabis oil? Um, I actually take Rick Simpson oil, which is a really, really concentrated form of cannabis. Um, it comes in this tiny little jar and you actually take it with a toothpick and you, you put it on your tongue. And um, a lot of people don't understand what sublingual means. Um, a lot of cannabis medicine is actually taken under the tongue because it's a mucous membrane and it gets absorbed faster than than swallowing it. So that's actually another way that you take edibles. So that can actually offer much more instant relief and actually much more control over the dosage. So um, for example, there's another thing that I take, which is a type of tincture. And it also it comes in a dropper you put it on your tongue and it shows like the milliliters, you know, how much you're taking. And so you're going, okay, um, I'll put a little bit on my tongue. You hold it there. You don't swallow it. You let it get absorbed and then you swallow the rest. Um, and it helps you basically, um, you know, fine tune dial what your appropriate dosage is because your response to cannabis may not be same every day, depending on what you eat. You ate more fatty stuff that day. You're going to be more, you're going to mm -hmm. be able to absorb more cannabis and you might get, eat too much. So you can do the dropper, put it underneath there, wait a little bit, see whether it uh, relieves some of your anxiety or whatever other pain symptoms you're, you're experiencing. Um, Does and, it give you the effects of feeling high or? Um, it's, it's a little bit more muted. Um, again, if you take, you know, you take a ton of it, you're going to feel, feel a little out there. Um, but of course for me, I, I'm now a regular cannabis user, so it takes a lot to actually get me high. I feel more medicated than, than high, for example, it, to actually get high, I would have to take a lot. But, um, for the average user, um, there is a difference between the dosage needed to be medicated and to be intoxicated. And so that's sort of, I use intoxicated to, to mean the, the word high. Like when people normally think about people like sitting on the couch, like out of it, that's high. Um, we're almost taking like a, a sub-threshold dose to be medicated throughout the day to manage your symptoms. Um, and that's where people, that's how you use cannabis as medicine. Um, if you're using it where you can still function, you, you know, you're not, you're not impaired. Like you're mm -hmm. not going to go crash your car. If you're taking a very low dose, like say like you would take a Prozac, like um, there's a, or a Vicodin, right? There's a difference between taking one Vicodin and taking like five Vicodins and then drinking, right? That's what I consider when people take too much cannabis, you know, you're, you're intoxicated. It's not like you're abusing the medication, but that's using it in a different form in a different way. Um, taking lower doses across the day, like multiple times over the day is using it as medication. Could, could everyone benefit? It seems from what you're telling me about the ENC system, ENC system, right? ECS system. E ECS. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> See, this, this is, is all new, new to language. me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's new. It's, it's new for everyone. I mean, even even neuroscientists stumble over the word. And I think it's actually really cumbersome word. It's like, you know, cannabinoids that are inside your brain. It's like, how about we just call those cannabinoids? Yeah. <laughs> like not endo. Like you don't say this is this is endoserotonin and this is endodopamine. But, you know, there's cocaine and uh, that, that's exodopamine mean you know we need we need new language for the cannabinoid system and we're, we're seeing a lot of people like I know people just in my own circle who are now taking uh, Rick Simpson's oil on a daily basis they they don't necessarily have a medicinal issue but they're just wanting to do it for prevention reasons okay and I will tell you this that cannabis I mean is the key to unlocking preventative medicine. So um, it helps protect your DNA from being damaged. So it can actually slow down the aging process. I mean, even myself, I've shown like I had wrinkles before that have gone away and I'm going, okay, my skin looks better. Everything looks better since I've started consuming cannabis on a daily basis. My memory used to be really horrible and it was definitely shot after all the PTSD and everything. Um, it's gone back and it's actually working better than it was before. I'm like, how? Oh, wow, look at this, like 32 and I'm, my brain's acting better than it did when I was 26, you know? Um, it's just nicer to halt that aging process. And we know now that cannabis can actually um, help people become more resilient. Um, there are studies showing, you know, if you take cannabis before you have a traumatic event, you're less likely to be scarred by it. So, I mean, to me, 
hey, you know, life is crap. So to be able to know that you have an insurance policy and that you're going to be able to deal with um, deal with difficult experiences in a more confident and resilient manner is great. Um, you know, we can't tell whether a family member is going to die or whether we're going to be fired from our job. Cannabis is the key to preventing tragedies. Like we have people shooting people at schools because they can't deal with the problems in their life. If we had a medication that people could take that helps them cope, with life's problems in a manner that they don't become sick from it. They don't have stress. Stress kills your body. I mean, stress is responsible for disease. It's responsible for cancer. It's responsible for suicides. I mean, suicides are a big problem. You know, we have a medication here that can make people happier, make people more connected, just enhance people's lives. And everyone can benefit from that. You know, you don't have to have epilepsy to benefit from um, the power of uh, cannabinoid therapy. I think that everyone should use it. Um, you should learn about it. You shouldn't be afraid. Um, and I know that there's not a lot of really amazing information and um, we're still, you know, in taking baby steps and how to teach the public how to, to embrace it. But I think that more people should open up their eyes and ask themselves, you know, it's, it's worth a shot. And I think it's basically vitamin weed. I tell people is, <laughs> is basically, you know, the, the vitamin we're all missing. I mean, if there was a vitamin you could take that would make you happier, that would make you less stressed out, that might even make you a better parent because you can cope with, you know, your cranky, you know, kid and their, you know, their, their terrible teenage years or something. Um, if there was something that can make your life better, wouldn't you take it? And I mean, that's how I feel. And I'm dedicating my life to helping other people understand that. Well, it was such an honor to have you on the show today. You're, you're really a game changer, especially as someone who came from the anti-drug movement, a researcher for the National mm -hmm. Institute on Drug Abuse, to then now be a pro-medicinal marijuana advocate, uh, also believe in the healing powers of psychedelics. And I really think you have a voice that a lot of people... Uh, can listen to and and you you've sold me. <laughs> I want to go. I want to go find me some cannabis oil after the show. <laughs> well, I can help you with that. Um, there, there's a lot of amazing people. Have you ever heard of Dr. Dina? She's actually one of the people that helped me find the the right dosage. She's over um, in West Hollywood. Oh, wonderful. Well, we'll try to have her on the show uh, as well. And and so, how can people find more about your work and and really connect with you uh, aside from the show? Okay. Well, I'm on Twitter at Dr. Michelle Ross, and also I have a website at Dr. Michelle Ross. Com. I'll be actually reshaping uh, my whole public branding and everything to be um, very um, focused on educating people about marijuana and hopefully launching a new app very soon that'll help people. Okay. Well, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure mm -hmm. to talk with you, Michelle, and, and keep it up. You're, you're really a pioneer and a badass and, <laughs> and <laughs> someone uh, people should admire because you're, you're following your passion mm -hmm. and uh, you're becoming very successful for doing so. Well, thank you, Amber. It was such a pleasure to be here. We good? We good?